good to see you this morning. Amen. It's good to be seen. It's, it's good to not be medicated and be here today. Uh, I understand we had a good service last week. I don't remember much of it. Uh, thanks for praying for me after, uh, after having been uh, really sick for the whole week. Uh, as, as Pastor Mark said, having a healing service with two of our pastors out sick and one of us that was so medicated, I, I apologize if I offended anybody. I'm not sure what I said, but we'll just believe that it was something that was beneficial to your soul. But uh, the number of people that responded for prayer at the end of that service is getting incredible. And, and uh, interesting enough that the, the, the attendance from both of those services put us at the highest attended service we've had um, in the last six or seven years that wasn't an Easter. I mean, so, so obviously we were touching the lives of people that wanted to respond, and, and I, I thank you for that. I'm looking forward to hearing of testimonies of God, God's touch. Since we're entering into a stage where we have just brought in a, a group of new members into our church today, and uh, over the next couple of weeks we're going to be focusing on preparing ourselves for an annual business meeting and some things that are taking place, I wanted to to spend this morning focusing on the word on characteristics of a healthy church. What are the characteristics of a healthy church? There was a man that went to the doctor to get a physical, and after a series and a battery of blood tests and checking his heart and lungs and ears, eyes, nose, and throat and everything else that you get checked when it's physical time, the doctor walked into him and looked at him and, and said to him, got good news for you. You're disease-free. You're healthy. There's no signs of disease. Your blood pressure is okay and everything is within normal limits. And the man walked out of the doctor's office feeling really, really good that he was in a state of health. He went from there right to the gym where he uh, signed up for uh, a fitness instructor and a trainer to be with him. And so they began to do some training with him. And after they had him run on a treadmill for a few minutes and and uh, begin to test him. The, the fitness instructor pulls him off the treadmill and looked at him and he said, you are in terrible shape. Your resting pulse is horrible. Your body fat percentages are way above normal. Your flexibility is poor and you just flunked the treadmill test. You are in bad, bad shape. And so I recognize today that as I come to talk to you about the characteristics of church health, that there's a lot of different standards that we can use. We may be disease-free, and we may fall within normal limits, but there's also a fitness aspect to the church as we move forward. And it's my greatest desire that Grace Assembly of God would not just be a church that um, the great physician would look at us and say we're normal, but that there would be a fitness to us for the service that God desires of us. And so I'd like, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I would like to look at five verses this morning, which gives us a little bit of an outline. And again, there were so many different passages that I could have gone through this morning, but this begins to set the stage a little bit, not only to give us a view of what health might look like, but also in preparation for what I believe the Lord is leading us to as a congregation uh, as we move forward throughout this year. In 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the scripture says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Father, as we approach your word this morning, what we ask of you today is that you would begin to unlock things within our hearts and our minds by the anointing of your Holy Spirit that would give us some insight. We are your church, O oh God, and we belong to you. And so I pray that there would be nourishment that would be provided for us as well as instruction through your word that we could apply in such a way that we would demonstrate the characteristics of a healthy church, one in which your Holy Spirit desires to move and can influence a community. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is an outline for you that's provided in, in the bulletin that you can follow along with. And uh, I recognize that uh, we're going to be moving right along. And I don't know if we'll get to all of it, but I do want to at least highlight some of the things in our thinking. Here at the end of Peter's epistle, he concludes his letters with some exhortations, some encouragements to the church. We know that he is writing to congregations because he starts off chapter 5 writing to the elders and to the leaders of these congregations. And he gives some exhortations about how that the community of the church should live and interact and work with one another. And if you were to read the whole book, it really is in the backdrop of a suffering church or a church that's, that's living out its commission in conditions that are not really easy or, or very difficult but he begins to say that the condition of the world around the church should not be the determining factor whether there is health within the church. In other words, the ability of God's presence within our lives and within the work of the church supersedes whatever is going on outside and in our world. So great is his power and so great is the community that he desires that we can be in health even though the world around us may not be in health. And so he begins to speak to us in these ways. And the first thing that he brings up is that healthy churches have a plurality of elders. Healthy churches have a plurality of elders. He says, to the elders among you. And this is a plural word. In other words, I'm speaking to those within churches that there is a, there are multiple levels of leadership within a congregation. He says, I appeal to you. As a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be re uh, revealed. Now this might not be something that jumps out to most as they read this text. But it's a very important truth that when Peter writes to the leaders of the churches, he doesn't write to a single elder or a single pastor of any given church, but speaks to a leadership structure within the church. That provides for health. And so in the New Testament when talking about leadership of the church. It always refers to a plurality of elders. Instead of a single elder led local church. As it relates to us within the assemblies of God. We are a part of an organization that gives oversight to us. And accountability to each of us as ministers. It's one of the things that I love about being part of the assemblies of God. We are not an independent church. I am not an independent pastor. I have people whom I am accountable to and others who are accountable to me that brings in the ability to be observed and to observe which keeps health, checks and balances within the local church. 
And so we would look at this and we would begin to say to ourselves, why is it that the plurality of leadership in the church is important? We discovered in Titus, in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, that Paul was telling Titus to set up elderships in Crete. And he said, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Healthy church, follow the model of the plurality of eldership. Here's what the plurality of eldership does in leadership. One of the things that it does for us is it creates a balance among leadership. One of the great dangers in any church is if there is one voice that gives all the direction that everybody must answer to that is unaccountable. I know that some of you may have come from churches of that background, and I want you to know that that, to me, is a dangerous symptom, that the Lord has developed for us a model within the leadership of the church where there are different levels of leadership. One of the things that I love about our church is that there are those whom you consider by the election of deacons to be those that you would say have a level of leadership that you would consider to be elders among you. It's at the end of our services when we call our deacons and our leaders and our our elders to the front and and people respond to them recognizing that there is a plurality of people who have spiritual maturity that you can come to and recognize that they are gifted, that they are anointed, and they have the ability to speak into your life in such a way that would help you grow spiritually. As your pastor... I'm thankful for the gifting that God has given to me to be a leader, to be a pastor. But I'm also thankful for the men and women that God has placed within our church that perhaps has special giftings in the area of finances or of counseling or hospitality or teaching. And all of the measures of their abilities they bring to the church and they begin to create certain strengths within the leadership structure by bringing to God what they have and are being recognized in the sense of eldership. A plurality of of elders also helps prevent burnout and pride in leadership. We saw this with Moses, who was judging all of the cases for Israel, the big and the small, and his older, wiser father-in-law said to him in Exodus 18, this is not good. It's not good that you carry the entire load of leadership on your shoulders and that you're doing all of this work It would be better for you to ordain judges around you. In other words, to create a plurality of leadership so that you can have the load shared. And Moses' father-in-law told him, the work is too heavy for you and you cannot handle it alone. And in wisdom, he listened and began to spread the load of leadership. I was in meetings this week where we were going through some recent statistics as it related to pastors, and we discovered this statistics Around 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month in the United States because of burnout, because of carrying the load of leadership by themselves, because of a feeling of lack of respect and that nobody cares, and because they have felt the burden all by themselves. And so a plurality of elders and leadership helps prevent hazards like burnout and pride. A plurality of elders also helps more people be cared for. 
One of the things that you're going to hear about, and we're not going to be voting on it at this business meeting, but we will call a special business meeting this year to talk about it, is we have found ourselves in this church at a place where growth has taken place at such a rapid pace lately that we've discovered it's difficult for us to be able to minister to everybody that has needs without increasing uh, a level of eldership within our church. I have been interviewing pastors in not only our district, but in other districts that I think have models that work well, that we are going to begin to implement here, where as a pastor, I will appoint uh, different individuals that I know to be spiritually strong and that have giftings that can serve our church in a role of elder that would help carry a spiritual load and help carry the care of the congregation so that we can continue to have a structure that will provide for the greater growth that we believe God is going to be giving us. It's a model that I'm uh, working through the details of, and when I finish that, we'll sit down with our board, we will go through this together, and then we will present it to you as a congregation uh, in such a way that will uh, require all of your vote because it will have to be a bylaw change to what we currently have because the structure that we have is not capable right now of carrying the load of growth that we're having. And so with the plurality of eldership, the plurality of leadership, we begin to see that there will be roles for uh, other people to step up and begin to help us care uh, and give greater care as we move forward. Another benefit of the plurality of elders helps give accountability and teaching of doctrine. I have told you many, many times, I expect that when I preach a word from the Bible that I expect you to test it. I expect you to research it and to look at it. And if there's questions that you have as to the context of something that I present, we are in a situation where I am more than happy to meet with you because I should be able to biblically defend everything that I proclaim from this pulpit. You have the right to come and say, I do not understand, or in my sphere of understanding, how does this fit what the Bible says, and, and we should be able to clearly articulate the truth of the word to you, and it helps, it helps us to hold accountability of the teaching of our doctrine. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, we are given instructions even if there is to be a prophetic word or giftings in the spirit that two or three prophets should speak, and it says, and the others should weigh carefully what is being said. In other words, there's a responsibility on the congregation to filter well the truth of what you hear. In other words, don't just believe everything somebody teaches you or tells you just because they may have the title of pastor. The plurality of eldership provides for us the ability to weigh carefully what God is saying to us, to judge it, to make sure that it's right and know that what we are being fed is healthy for us. The plurality of eldership also brings victory and safety through their wisdom and decision-making. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, For the lack of guidance a nation falls. But many advisor make victory, or it can also be translated safety, sure. Solomon said that a nation will fall if it does not have Many wise advisors to make victory sure. I believe that's one of the structures that I love about our church is the fact that the decisions that we make are filtered through 
the minds and the hearts of those who are gifted. And you've had four names presented to you today, of which two of them are going to be selected by you to sit on the board of deacons with us. And we ask that you be in prayer over these names, that God would elevate the right people at the right time for what he knows that we're going to be going through. Each of these individuals is eminently qualified spiritually. But there are times when the Lord will use the giftings of one or two at a time and and at other times others will move in up because he knows what we need as a body. And so I ask you to be in prayer that God would select just the right people who have the right wisdom for the right time to help us maintain safety and victory in what we're doing. Moving further on into the passage of 1 Peter and 1 through 4, it says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. And then he says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Within this particular verse, there are three titles that are used. The title of elder, the title of overseer, and the title of shepherd. And and as we look at this, we begin to wonder, what what do these refer to? And I, I want you to understand that there is a similarity of these terms, but there's also a distinguishing of of job descriptions from them. We are called to have elders which represent those who are mature in Christ. They may be leaders. He calls them shepherds also, which uh, could also be interpreted as pastors. And then he uses the term overseer, which uh, could also be interpreted as bishop. And so as you look at the titles that he uses of leadership within this particular passage of Scripture, one represents the elder of uh, those who are mature. Um, one represents... Um, an overseer or or the the bishop, which is an administrative role. And one is a shepherd, which is a pastoral role. And so all of them, the terms refer to uh, the collection of those who would give care to the body. But within this particular passage of Scripture, he's speaking of healthy churches have faithful pastors. I can tell you with all of my heart, there's nothing in the world that I have been created to do besides be a pastor. It energizes me. I didn't start out college wanting to do this. In fact, I had had other things and other plans, but when God intervenes, you obey. I know that God has called me to be a shepherd. It's my nature. It's my joy. It's my love. I love caring for the flock. I love elevating leaders. I love caring for what God is doing. I also recognize that along with that call comes an understanding that there will be a greater judgment for those who step into the role of overseer. Not only will I have to stand and give an account to God for how I led my family as the priest of my own home, but I will have to give an account for every word that I have proclaimed to every congregation that I have ever pastored. I will have to stand before God and give an account for the truth of what I proclaimed. And understanding that, 
You need to know that if God calls you into ministry, it better be his call and not your desire because your desire will fail when things get difficult, but the strength of the Lord sustains those whom he has genuinely called and love being involved in the work of the Lord. In the passage of Scripture, one of the things that was described to us is that faithful pastors must be aware of the tendency to grow lazy. He says, you pastor, you oversee, not because you must, but because you are willing. Because you are willing. And this is a tendency that can take place in higher levels of leadership where you can hide in an office and let everybody else do the work that God wants you to do. And so there must be a willingness of the one who will be a pastor to proceed and do the things that God would ask of them. Statistics indicate today 50% of pastors would find another job or profession if they could. To me, that goes right to the call. I believe that if you have a call of God on your life to be an overseer, that there's nothing else in the world that will ever bring a fulfillment to your spirit except to walk in obedience to the Lord. And as a church, you should be able to look, whether you are in places where you're selecting pastors or whether you're in a place of determining whether or not this is a church that I want to attend, you should know without a shadow of a doubt that your pastor wants to be there and wants to be involved in the things of the Lord, that there's an energizing of the Spirit that promotes him or her to do what they do in faithfulness to the Lord. And then he begins to outline to those who will be overseers and pastors that they must not be motivated by gain. They can't be greedy for money, but they must be eager to serve. And he begins to outline the things for a pastor to recognize in their own heart that they serve for the right reasons and the right times. He says not only should they not be greedy for money, but they must not be eager for power or desire power. He says don't lord it over those who are entrusted to you. I, I love that term. Don't lord over those who are entrusted to you because it quickly brings every pastor to the understanding that the reason that you're here is because God has entrusted you to the care of Grace Assembly. You belong to Jesus. You do not belong to me. My job as the under-shepherd of the Lord is to make sure that you are fed well and provided an opportunity and an environment where you can grow spiritually and become more like Him. My desire to serve is not based upon a desire to have power over you, but to be able to walk alongside of you, to love you and care for you. And so the focus of a healthy church's pastor is not the exercise of power, but the example of service. In fact, clearly it says it's by the example that we lead. I serve in a role in our district. I'm the executive presbyter of the central region of New York. In other words, I have the opportunity of pastoring the pastors of this particular region of the state, from the Canadian border down to the Pennsylvania border and the central regions. And as a result of that, one of the things that I have the opportunity to do is interview those who want to be pastors. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity of sitting in an interview where there was an individual that was before us, and one of the things that, as a part of the interview committee, we always do is we ask them to tell us about your call. How did God call you into ministry? What, what's motivating you to be here today? And this, this particular individual began to speak to us, and when we asked them why they were seeking credentials or why they were seeking a license to preach, which is one of our credentials, 
the individual said to us, because if you give me this license to preach, then my pastor will have to listen to me when I talk. And my pastor will have to let me preach because I will have the title of pastor also. People will take me seriously because I will be a pastor. We did not approve the credentials of that individual. It did, however, lead to some interesting interview questions as it related to motivation for wanting to be involved in ministry. And we sat back and we began to shudder at those that may have been in charge of our churches and pastoring churches with the wrong motivation of, I want to do this so that people will have to listen to me rather than saying, I want to do this because I want to serve. And then he says, faithful pastors have an eternal perspective and motivation. My greatest day in ministry will be when the trump of the Lord sounds and I see everybody that's in our church standing together with us at the throne of God. That will be the greatest day of my existence because what happens here has an eternal perspective to it. And that will be the greatest day of our Savior as he looks and recognizes that his sacrifice that he gave for each of us has brought us to a place where we will enjoy eternity with him. There is an eternity to be considered. Thirdly, healthy churches submit to their elders. The scripture says young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. Now I recognize today that we live in a society where this is becoming more difficult because we are living in a generation where there are some young people who are growing up whose attitude is nobody is going to tell me what to do. Some of you who work within our school systems recognize this. We had a, a young man that came here and uh, moved here from Florida and was working in, in our city school district and uh, joined our church for just a few days and, and within a month he was leaving to go back to Florida, and I asked him, I'm going, what, what's going on? He goes, I've never been in a place where I've had more students look at me and say, I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you're doing. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me I'm right, and nobody's going to tell me I'm wrong, and good luck trying to break that wall down. And he says, I recognized quickly that there was no parental support whatsoever, and I recognized I was running into a brick wall. We live in a generation in a society where people say that, and yet the Scripture begins to declare to us, that healthy churches have a humility of people that submit to the eldership, submit to the advice and care of those whom God has placed within our life. I want you to know that there's never a stage of our life when we do not reach a place where we cannot draw wisdom from our elders. I have three men in my life that... On a regular basis, we have conversations and we hold each other accountable. These men ask me anything they want at any time. And because of the relationship we have, know me well enough to know that if I'm trying to hide something, they dig. I also have other individuals in my life, such as Pastor John Wynn, who I have known for over 30 years, who... Having been ordained in the ministry for over 55 years, I know that I can go to him and he speaks into my life as an elder who can bring correction to me and bring ideas to me. And I've discovered that there's a, a way that we function healthily as a church when there are those whom we speak into their lives who are younger than us that by virtue of life 
and the way that we have lived, we can speak into their lives and provide for them wisdom. There are those that are peers with us, similar stages of life that as a peer we talk and develop relationships and every one of us needs those who are older than us, who we can go to, who can speak to us from a perspective of I've already been where you are, let me tell you wisdom of how you can proceed. That is the picture of health in a church. That we need those three things in every life. I loved last week when we were praying for the sick and we had a group of children over here that were seven, eight, nine, ten years old and they were not only praying for one another but I saw adults that came over. My wife went to them to have them pray for not because she didn't trust my prayer or the ladies but she says, I wanted to see what it was like and she said, I heard a nine-year-old boy articulate very clearly as he laid hands upon me and asked God to bring healing into my body and healing and in tears she began to cry as she recognized the health of having children involved in spiritual moving of what God is doing. And so I would ask as you look at the health of your own spiritual life, where you are in those three relationships of those that you're speaking into, of those who are peers with you, and those who are older that can still speak into your life and bring to you wisdom and correction as you need it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. As men who must give an account. It goes on to say, obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, as we learn to humbly approach one another within the health of a church... It becomes a joy when we listen to what is being said to us. Not because somebody is speaking to us to rob us of fun, but because somebody is speaking to invest in our life something that will bring greater health to our own life. And as we obey, there becomes a joy in serving within the church. And then lastly, healthy churches humbly serve one another. In verse 5 it says, all of you, all of you, Nobody's excluded from this passage. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not only do healthy churches submit to their elders instead of complaining about them or, or disobeying them, but they also serve one another. I love this, the visual that is given here. It's as if in the morning you step into your closet and you're trying to make the decision of what you're going to wear that day. How do you want to look? Is it going to match? And, and the scripture says, clothe yourself. In other words, spiritually there's a closet that we walk into every morning. And we choose the attitudes of which we will display the Lord throughout that day. We choose the way that we will speak. We choose the way that we will interact. And the Lord says, clothe yourself. Make sure that whatever you put on is full of humility. Don't think more highly than you ought to, but begin to look for opportunities where the Lord and the giftings that he has given you provide you chances to serve one another. The greatest thing that a church in health can do is to serve one another. In fact, the scripture says that we will be known by the way that we love people. And so as we begin to prepare a greater foundation for the growth that we believe God wants to bring us, 
The reason that people will want to be here is the way they see you not only react and interact with one another, but the way they are treated as they walk in, that they are of value, that we serve, that we love, because the health of the church is indicated in the level of service that we're willing to give. Having said that, we just introduced 22 new members to our body. Statistics indicate that in most churches, between 70 or 80% of the work done in any church is done by 20 to 25% of the membership. That is not a healthy model. So this morning, as we begin to wrap these thoughts up, here's the word to you. Where is your place to serve? We have a service that goes on downstairs in both of our services, a, a children's church that takes place, and I want you to know that if you have a heart for loving and serving children, that Pastor Julie would love to be able to speak to you and interview you to see if that might be a place where you could serve well. We have a thriving youth ministry that has literally run us adults out of the sanctuary on Wednesday nights and forced us to go into the old youth room so that they could have the room that they needed. And if you would walk in here on a Wednesday, you would smile because of the diversity of, of, of cultures the diversity of what's taking place here under the leadership of Pastor Mark and his team. And if that would be a desire, he would love to interview you to find out if your giftings would work there. We just bought another van because we have so many people that are wanting to come to church. And I was told today that the two vans by themselves would not be enough to bring everybody that wants to come in. That they're already making multiple runs with that. And we've only had this second van for just about five or six weeks. Something is happening here. Something is happening that requires you to understand that your task in the church is we need you to participate if we're going to be healthy. And to participate means that you say, you know what, it's not about me. I'm not coming to church with a consumer attitude. I'm coming with the attitude of, Lord, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. There are new ministries that are going to be developed and birthed and There are other things that we need to whittle and look at to make sure that we are functioning within the value system that we have placed and feel like God leading us in. But I need to encourage you, find a place to serve because that's what the picture of a healthy church is. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. If you'd stand with me, please, this morning. I really have felt recently like we just needed to set a stage for what I feel is going to be a new vision for what the Lord wants to do in our church in the future. You need to be in prayer for us. We have some decisions that we're going to need to make. We have some conversations that we need to have. Our membership will be a vital part of what's going on there. You know the stresses that come with growth and and growth is, I've always said, growth is messy. When babies are born into the family, the garbage stinks worse because there's a lot of dirty diapers stuck in them. And yet, there's a joy that comes with that. 
I believe that it won't be long before we see Jesus. And that what we do, we must do quickly and we must do well. And it must be birthed from a healthy congregation and a healthy church with a plurality of eldership and health that we can speak into each other's lives. There'll be some things that you're going to hear about that as we get bigger, we need to find ways of getting smaller and tighter and more connected to one another so that we can be involved in each other's lives. Even this week, we've had people that have gone to surgery that either I didn't know about or others did, and and our body responded to be there. And And I love that picture of health that comes from giving care to one another in those things. That's got to be something that just explodes within our church. There are some of you who have tremendous gifts and talents that you've held back because you didn't know where the place was or how to fit it. I want you to know God's got plans for you. And we want to see those develop and are used for His kingdom's sake because you'll never be more fulfilled than you are when you're walking and working in all the giftings that God has given you. So today, not only do we welcome new members, but we ask those of you who have been a part of this to reevaluate. Lord, what can I do to be a part of the health of your church as we move forward? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people who are my friends and those whom some we have just met and others that we have known for a while, but it is my greatest honor to be able to be the lead pastor of this church. It energizes me. It it thrills me to be used to walk alongside. So Father, I ask that you would give not only to my heart, but to our assistant pastors and to our board. And as we begin to make some structural adjustments to elevate in eldership others who are mature so that we can minister God, I pray that everything we do will be done under your anointing and so that we can have a greater influence in this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you trust us with more souls, O oh God, may we be meticulous in the way that we teach and instruct and speak into their lives and help them to grow in you. And for those who are here today, I ask that you would just take a moment and begin to speak into their heart about ways that they can be involved in greater ways so that our church can grow numerically because it is healthy. Healthy things grow, Lord, so help us to remain in a state of spiritual health so that what comes from that is uniquely your nature. Father, as we move forward today and celebrate in the second service with other new members, may we likewise, though our congregation meets at separate times, keep us in unity together, I pray. And lead us and guide us so that the things that are known about Grace Assembly is that we are a congregation that elevates the name of Jesus and loves one another as we put on the cloak of humility. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I'm going to ask our deacons to come and be prepared. If you're here this morning and you need somebody to pray with you about a need, I want you to know that they're available for you. For those of you that must go, we greet you in the name of the Lord. Have a marvelous day, and we thank God for you. Amen.